Reentry and transition from prison to back into the free world is already a task. It is unlike anything that I can describe coming back to the place that all I wanted was to be home. Welcome to Unlocking College Life. Real talk about all things college. The best part of this podcast is that your voice is part of the show. Other students care what you have to say. So through your questions, your feedback, and your real talk, we all grow together. Let's dive in with your hosts, Joy and Alona. Welcome back, everyone, to Unlocking College Life. We are joined today by another incredible student who has a story to share. And so I am going to let Taylor introduce herself. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. My name is Taylor, and I'm 28 years old. I'm a student in um, an undergraduate psychology program at the University of North Carolina Greensboro, where I'm also a mental health first aid instructor and a Spartan Recovery peer support assistant in the Spartan Recovery program. And yeah, I'm just really happy to be here. Welcome, welcome, Taylor. We have so many questions for you, but I would like to start actually with your recovery. How did you get into recovery? And of course, we do have listener students who are also in recovery, but want to hear from your path and your past and go from there. That's a great question. Recovery for me is a little bit different than maybe typically would be considered for when you hear the term recovery. A lot of times folks think it's pretty specific to alcohol and other drugs, which is the case a lot of times, and it's definitely a component in my recovery. But I like to practice an integrated approach to recovery where I am connected to all kinds of resources. I don't currently participate in 12-step fellowship. I did for about four years, figured out it wasn't necessarily the space and place for me. So I transferred into more of a Buddhist practice, not necessarily the religious portion of Buddhism, but more of just a mindful, do no harm, recognize suffering, and figure out how to accept things I can't change, which is also a tenet of 12-step recovery, but it really just hit home a little bit more for me in that way, being mindful. And so I'm also connected with folks in the counseling center. I have a personal therapist. Mental health is incredibly important to me. If not my main focus, it's very high up there when I think of my recovery. I am bipolar one and I have been since about I was uh, 17. I experienced the onset of bipolar one at that time. And it was just, it ruined my life at the time, really. I had no clue. I was raised in a family who did not believe or trust the mental health care system. There was a lot of misinformation they had been given. They raised me a certain way, which really the only option I had was to pray away the bipolar. And that just didn't work for me. It didn't go away. It only got worse. And I really was just left without any sort of option for support. In fact, my mom, when I was younger, the doctor prescribed me anti-anxiety medication as a child. And she actually took it away from me and told me I had asthma instead of panic attacks because of her mistrust of the mental health care and just not having enough information. She didn't have access to enough information either when she was raising me in the early 2000s and stuff. So I really try to focus on staying with my therapist, keeping up coping skills and coping strategies that are always at the ready for me so that I don't have to wonder what to do anymore because for a long time that was the source of all of my 
drug use and alcohol use is that I just didn't know what else to do and I knew what made me forget and I knew what made me feel better. And so I used those substances and those environments as a way to supplement any treatment period. And so it wasn't until, I don't know how deep you want me to go into it right now, but it wasn't actually until I experienced the a pretty severe crisis. I was drinking and driving and I had a wreck and my friends were killed in that accident. Two of my very best friends. And it was due to my drug use, my alcohol use, my undiagnosed and onset bipolar one, and just my general lack of regard for consequences and rules. I just really at a place where I did not care if I lived or died. And that resulted in negligence with the lives of my friends. And I didn't experience any sort of exposure to recovery until I was actually sentenced to prison for five years. And that's the first time I ever even heard the word recovery. And being incarcerated, there were very few resources, but the resources I did have really helped me. One of my focuses also in recovery is Al-Anon. I don't participate in Al-Anon anymore, but Al-Anon really saved me. My father is an alcoholic and it really helped me understand who I was, how I was raised, and what I could control and what I couldn't, and the consequences of those scenarios. So I'm assuming that that was your rock bottom and how you got into recovery. And I'm just also aware, right, you are mentioning things like bipolar and also genetics. Your father, it sounds like, was an alcoholic. So there is both the nature-nurture factors in. And bipolar alone can be so, so powerful. I mean, sometimes folks in a psychotic or manic episode believe that they can talk to Jesus. And this is not sort of religion, right? So it just tells you, though, about the power of this disorder if not medicated and I'm just really grateful for you sharing with us how profound the impact of that unmedicated disorder was for you and I'm also curious and this might be jumping too far I'm sure that I myself and Joy will have many questions that probably should come before this but I'm even curious how are you managing recovery now and I know you talked about switching tracks in recovery and we have actually a refuge recovery around here and other forms of recovery and meeting. So it's not just the traditional AA. But I also know that with COVID, for example, right, like so many folks relapse. How have you navigated the tragedy of killing and, and losing your best friends and being in prison and then all the way to today? Like I believe in 12 steps and I believe in recovery in general. But can you say a little bit more? What has helped you? What carried you through? What still does? Yeah, so it has been really difficult. Honestly, I was able, as outrageous as it may seem to someone who's never been to prison or who doesn't know much about prison, I actually formed a really strong community. Some of the strongest women I've ever met in my life, I met in prison. And I was just able to have the time and I had the time and I had some resources to just read and figure out about my disease and figure out about my diagnosis figure out the complexities and nuances that was never explained to me. I wasn't even explained that other folks are have mental health challenges. I was just always told one way and almost a denial of even my father being an alcoholic. So it was almost like these scenarios were just 
We were taught to hide them. I was taught to cover them up, be a show and present a certain way. So that's really been a challenge is just being authentic and honest with myself and developing true connections with other women, particularly, but people in general who love me unconditionally and who don't put an expectation on me. People who aren't going to judge me when I say, it's been a hard day. I actually don't know that I can even get out of bed to hang out with you. People who are like, absolutely, how can I support you? Not people who are like, just get up. What are you doing? Just get out of bed. Don't be so lazy. Unfortunately, that happens still in my life with family members. But for the most part, my recovery has been maintained by a sense of community and connection and being able to just share my story, share my experiences, and have someone else share theirs back. And then we can work together and keep each other accountable. That sort of setup really worked for me. And that is really strong in the 12 steps. Their tenants, you know, are based on admitting that you have a problem, recognizing it, fixing those character defects, and then ultimately reaching out to the alcoholic or addict who still suffers. So I still apply those principles. I just don't have as much of a connection to the 12-step program for different reasons. just wasn't a good fit for me at the time. But since then, I was actually released from prison two weeks before the pandemic. And yeah, February 25th, 2020. And then by March 15th, the world was just in shambles. And I really, in the beginning of the pandemic, underestimated the effect that it would have on me, as I'm sure we all did. But I transitioned into a completely different world and re-entry and transition from prison to back into the free world is already a task. It is unlike anything that I can describe coming back to the place that all I wanted was to be home. All I wanted was to be home but I found myself sad that I had to leave my friends. I found myself sad that I had to leave my community. I had to leave my resources. I had to leave this unlimited time I had to just focus on myself. You know, I didn't have social media. I didn't have my phone. I didn't have anything but the books and the people who were around me. And so then it was very overwhelming. I had and maybe still am having a bit of an identity crisis. Who do I want to be in this world? Who do I get to be now that I have completed prison? I've completed my post-release that was required after prison. I am able to vote now. I got all my rights back. Working on getting a driver's license. When that's reinstated, then I'll be fully functioning human on the outside, but what does that look like on the inside has really been difficult for me. An integral part of my transition has been working with the Spartan Recovery Program at UNCG. Thankfully, we have been on campus throughout the entire pandemic. We were never told that we could not be in person, and that has really saved me. I have made connections and relationships, again, with incredibly strong women, wonderfully supportive people who just are there and understand and get it in a way more deeply than I could explain to them in a one conversation. They just get it. There's also a lot of other folks who have been to prison in recovery that are in higher ed now. And SRP is a place for that. A lot of people go to prison because of addiction, right? So it ends up that we're all kind of funneled into this program together and it works. I can laugh and talk about the ridiculous crap that we used to eat in prison and compare it to stuff that people would never understand. And we just get it. And it's so unique and so precious to have those five years. I wasn't doing nothing. 
I was doing stuff and it's hard to not reflect on it and be like, it wasn't all awful. It was traumatic and there were pieces of it that were horrific. But really being able to figure out how to be a person similar to the person I was in prison, figuring out how to apply that person and adapt into the world today has been hard. One of the biggest challenges was getting mental health care. So prison, I was had access to free to me mental health care every week. I got to see a first class therapist. It's not always the case that prisons have really good therapists, but I was incredibly blessed with a therapist who just, she rocked it and I made so much progress. And then grieving that loss too, mourning the loss of that connection and relationship. The first time I ever felt stable was actually in prison. Then I'm thrown into a very unstable condition the pandemic hits, nobody's accepting clients, nobody's doing telehealth. Then we roll out telehealth and still nobody's accepting clients. And I do not have transportation reliable. So it's difficult and expensive for me to get to appointments now that I do have a psychiatrist, a therapist. It's been really challenging, but the key has been for me reaching out before I'm in crisis and before I'm at the point where I feel I might use a negative coping skill or I might even in, I've also struggled with suicidal ideation and suicidal behaviors. Before I get to that point where I even consider that life isn't worth living, before I even get to that point, I reach out and I try to remember why it is absolutely worth living. And just having access to those resources and having people who have access to more resources than I even know about has been the most helpful because every time something, a crisis has happened, I have been able to immediately be connected with someone who could help me in that moment. And that has been instrumental. I don't want to stop you. I want to only because you've said so many important things. So number one, I want to just make sure our listeners know that if you are a student who is seeking recovery, a lot of institutions have collegiate recovery programs and they are lifesavers. So I just want to make sure that that's heard. And I think what you're also highlighting is, well, you're highlighting the connections that are made in that space, which are huge. But, you know, we often talk about students in recovery are almost, even though they may not see themselves this way, are almost in some ways like more advanced because you have to practice this stuff every day. And I think you're speaking to that. And I think that's so important and really sort of brings home the point that this stuff does take practice. Clients in recovery are some of my favorite clients. It is partly because it shows when you're doing the work, it works if you work it and it shows day in and day out. And there's so many layers of insight and the work sort of is just so much deeper and richer. And no, it's not easy, but I can really appreciate what Joyce just said and what you, Taylor, have shared. Yeah, one of my favorite things to say about it's difficult for felons to find jobs. There's the ban the box movement to get the are you a felon box off of applications and such. But I often tell people if you want to hire somebody, hire an addict or ex-con because nobody has worked as hard on themselves as we have. It is what you make it. When you're incarcerated or when you're in recovery, there are people who are incredibly insightful and intuitive and they work their program every day and there are people who don't. And there are people who go to prison and sit there on their tail every day. And then there are people who don't. But you can tell the ones who have. And we have 
been, because of our choices, we were met with a consequence that said, fix yourself or don't. And how often do people in society do something they weren't convicted for, they weren't caught for, and then never have to reflect on that experience. I have reflected on every aspect of my character, of my personal life. I think about that every day. Never is there a second that goes by that isn't informed by how can I be my best and how can I continue to repay my debt to my friends, to their family, to society that says, no, I'm going to work my ass off to be a contributing member of this society. So this is my little tag for hire all the ex-cons and addicts. Well, good to know. I will say we know, and I know you have sort of shifted out of 12 steps, but we know millions and millions of people have gotten better because of 12 steps. And some of the key factors of why that is, is the sense of community that you already mentioned, and certainly also giving back. I mean, these are such powerful factors that we just can't forget. And then the other thing when you were mentioning, I mean, the work continues just because you have done steps one time, it doesn't stop there because next time you get to do steps, you're again a layer deeper. And that doesn't mean that you stop making amends and amends are not just apologies. The work is just so rich. Yeah. And I wonder, Taylor, if you could also talk about you're a 28 year old undergrad now, you're living a non-traditional undergrad experience. I think our listeners would really like to hear more about that. Absolutely. Yeah. Going to college non-traditionally was the best decision I ever made. Most importantly, because I just have more insight and understanding of myself and what I want. But also, I am very lucky to go to school with a bunch of Gen Zs. I'm telling you, they're going to change the world. And I found a love for learning as a GED tutor in the prison. And I realized very early on that I wasn't actually stupid. I got poor grades all my life. But I had emotional problems from the time I was two years old, you know, till today. I've always struggled. There's always been something underneath there. And so often those students and those children are just written off as behavioral or written off as stupid or unintelligent. And that's not the case. I found out I was actually really smart and I really liked learning and I could learn well if given the right environment. And it was really that environment shift and that desire to grow and learn that really made it, I want to say, more meaningful to me because not only when I started college, it was through study release in prison. I actually got an associate's degree and was allowed to go to the outside to AB Tech in Asheville every day, Monday through Friday, from the prison. And that was a privilege. I mean, they do not just let anybody out and trust them to come back on their own devices. So I think that perspective also really helped me understand like what a privilege it is to learn and what a privilege it is to have access to higher education and to have been given the opportunity to be in that environment. And I just took in the information a lot differently than I would if I didn't value what I was learning. But it is awkward. I feel imposter syndrome and facing thinking about everybody's so much younger than me. They're going to know. They're going to think I'm weird. Or It's never been the case. I've been in group meetings with students and I don't understand a word they're saying. Nobody has ever looked at me. Okay, granny. But in my head, sometimes that's what it feels like. It feels like I'm just so far behind and 
I compare myself to my friends with master's degrees and careers and kids and that's not my story and I love my story and I love my journey I and mean, I wouldn't trade it but if I would be lying if I didn't say I was insecure about it frequently it's difficult especially because I do have aspirations for graduate school and I'm, oh my god I'm gonna be 50 not that that's bad but in my head there's some sort of attachment compared to age and where I should be in life and that is stressful for me a lot and I got kicked out of prison at 26 so I was expected to be a 26 year old that in society's eyes what are you supposed to have at 26 what are you supposed to be how are you supposed to act I didn't know how to pay bills I'd never paid bills I was 18 when my wreck happened and I had never had to be responsible for anything like that so navigating those adult life sort of things while also in college has been really difficult Thank you for sharing that. I wonder too, I know you've talked a lot about the women you met in prison, but also on campus. Again, going back to those connections that really sort of foster belonging. How did you find those people maybe outside of recovery? Yeah, so outside of recovery, I haven't necessarily met any new friends since I've been released, but outside of recovery in the prison, a couple times I was roommates with people and we just got close. Other times I lived in, there's 32 of us to a block or to a group of rooms and I would just be sitting in the day room with them, talking with them. A lot of women I met and formed relationships with as their tutor and or their teaching assistant in GED. Also, it's kind of a mini real world. So if you do the right things and people observe that, they're going to come to you. And so a lot of us who were actively just working on ourselves, we would be at the same programs or we would be at the same areas of the library. We found common interest and it's so much easier to strike up a conversation with someone when you don't have a TV or a cell phone to just binge into if you want to. We would retreat to our rooms and read a lot but for the most part like it was just conversations and I got to hear people's stories and I realized against all odds these women are still here. And against all odds, they are fighting despite being away from their children, despite being away from their homes, despite having lost everything that they held dear. They're still here showing up. And just in those conversations, I was able to just build relationships and grow together. I had several friends who did stay in touch with me while I was in prison and we are still friends. Today we picked up right where we left off. Thankfully, we all knew each other in high school. One friend I've had for 28 years. We've been best friends since we were born. And their support and their understanding. And they did a lot of growing too while I was gone. And they went to college, went to grad school, and got married. And we're able to stay connected. But because of the pandemic, I really have not been able to meet that many new folks. I would love to be connected with people um, doing yoga or, you know, um, in a, meet them at a group where we paint random stuff. Just fun things that we used to do that really are kind of, you know, slowly coming back, but not, not back as much as they were. And so that's kind of been a challenge. To start to wrap up, what would you say to students out there who might be older or might be hesitating because of their past to go to college or to who are questioning whether they even belong there. 
What would you say to those students? It's a really good question. It's something I ask myself a lot. Who do I think I am to feel like I belong here? And at the root of it, it kind of what a 12-step catchphrase, it's worth it if you work it and you're worth it if you work it. So I kind of adapted it to myself and I say that I'm worth it if I work it and whatever makes me happy and whatever is the best for myself and my community, I really just think about that and then think, screw the rest of it, whatever. If I feel insecure, it'll pass. It's not permanent. If I feel afraid, it's because I'm challenged and I know that I can overcome it. And so I would just tell anyone who's considering or who's worried about that, um, you know, nobody thinks about you as much as you do, honestly. So they're likely going to forget you, not that you're not special, but not going to remember. And if they do, they're only going to remember the good parts. They're only going to remember the parts they like, unless you're a jerk. So don't be a jerk and go to college. <laughs> oh, so glad my mic was off because my laugh was obnoxiously loud. But that was great. Alona, any last questions? Yeah, you know, and I don't know if there are last questions. I have a lot of questions swirling, but I do know that we tried to keep it somewhat focused and brave and maybe we should do three more episodes with you. But I am curious, and you have already mentioned all kinds of helpful principles. I clearly hear gratitude and I hear some of the typical 12-step principles that you're applying and all of that. But I'm just, what's fresh on my mind right now is that we are recording this at the time of finals and students are really really spent. I think that, you know, finals is always a stressful time of year. But I think it's especially so in returning in COVID and all of that, there just have been other layers that we didn't have to navigate before. And I'm just curious, and it's clear to me that you have boundaries, you set limits, all of these things. But are there other things that sort of help you get through such a stressful time? Yeah, this semester, I actually had to reach out for accommodations. I was really struggling. I was set up to had a pretty intense hearing with the DMV for my license. It didn't. And I was not reinstated. It wasn't reinstated. And that was a hard hit for me. And my medication had been switched a couple times for my bipolar. And I was going through a really tough time right around the same time as the hearing. And which is always traumatic dealing with that sort of scenario. I had to reach out and ask for accommodations. But I didn't ask until I got several weeks behind. And so that is what I would say is to reach out beforehand. I didn't get any negative feedback from my professors or the dean of students or the counseling center. They were all very helpful. But several of my professors said to me, I wish you would have told me sooner. I wish you would have reached out. I wish I would have known and we could have gotten you support. You know, we could have made a difference. And here we are at the end. And not only do I have finals coming up, but then I have all this makeup work that I just missed because I wasn't able to perform at all sometimes and definitely not up to par a lot of times. So I would just say reach out. There are so many resources that we don't even know about. Even at syllabus, even the syllabus always for my classes doesn't say all of the resources. They don't even know even. The deans and the professors aren't even aware, but they are there and somebody eventually will contact somebody who knows what to do. And it's again with the embarrassment of just feeling like a failure, feeling like I messed up, feeling like it's all my fault and it's my responsibility to deal with. And that's not true. That's not true. That's distorted thinking. That is me keeping myself in a hole. And the first step is always reaching out. And then from there, I have really had an incredible experience on the back end of something that was really horrible. So yeah, reaching out, that's my main thing. 
Okay, well, thank you so much for being with us today, Taylor. It was so incredible to hear your story. Any last words? Yeah, just thank you so much for reaching out to me and having me on your podcast. I think this is incredible. And I really appreciate two of my super interest, our community and connection and belonging to it's powerful to feel like you belong somewhere. And I have felt a sense of that with both of you today. And just feeling that it's I'm gonna have cramps. <laughs> so cheesy. And I really appreciate being here. Thank you. Back at you. We really appreciate you. Thanks for sharing and good luck with all the final work. Take care. Okay, take care, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review us on your favorite pod platform. Share with your friends if this is making you think about and participate in college differently. We want to hear from you. Connect with us on Instagram and let us know how it's going. This podcast is not professional advice or replacement for therapy. If you need professional advice, you should find it with professionals in your area, such as your primary care physician or therapist.